0: You are listening to the Fly the W 670 podcast. This is episode 12 of season three. Crowley, we are 50 days or less to opening day. Unbelievable. Don't forget to download. Don't forget to listen. Don't forget to subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. And don't forget to leave those five-star reviews. Well, in this segment of the show, we have Dan Cantervis talking to Crowley. Joining me now on the Fly the W Podcast. I'm glad to have back our old friend Dan Kantrovitz. He is the vice president of scouting for your Chicago Cubs. Dan, how are you today?
1: I'm I'm great, Kra. Just uh, as I was mentioning earlier, bouncing between uh, a few uh, different uh, points, a few different games. So uh, already on the run, but uh, it's it's you know not getting old. So uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's getting cold, but not old.
0: Yeah. Well, first off, big congrats. Congratulations to you and your team. As you know, MLB Pipeline released their top 100 prospect list, and the Cubs topped all 30 MLB teams with seven prospects in the top 100. That had to make the team feel real good, huh?
1: Yeah, you know, it certainly can't be a bad thing. Um, And, you know, we had our scouts in town uh, for our January meetings last week, and, um, you know, I think that was one of the things I said when I was – Given the meeting kickoff, but the you know then the other thing I quickly said was, you know that's sort of what we've done up to this point, uh, and and it doesn't mean you know that we're going to keep having success going forward, uh, you know without a pretty concerted effort to, to do so. Um, so you know I think we probably allowed us uh, you know 15 seconds to sort of pat everybody on the back and say you know nice job, and but now it's looking ahead and uh, you know making sure that everybody keeps grinding. Um, but yeah, it's never a bad thing I think to have a lot of prospects and, uh, you know, in those third party rankings. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of other good systems out there that, uh, you know, uh, might, uh, not get the attention, uh, from, you know, third party wise that, uh, um, you know, we gotta make sure that we stay ahead of and, uh, um, you know, aren't getting complacent.
0: Absolutely. Now, Before we talk about any individual players, uh, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about how the drafting process goes. The 2024 draft will be during the all-star festivities around July 16th. So after the 2023 draft ends, at what point do you guys start looking towards the 2024 draft?
1: Yeah, you know, the way things are set up now, uh, you know, they used to have a few years ago, we had the draft in June and then they moved it to July. Um, we're actually starting to evaluate what we call sort of platform year plus one players even before the draft. So it's not a situation where, you know, it's just sort of tunnel vision uh, on this year's class until the draft. And then all of a sudden we uh, hit reset and go to next year's class. We actually are starting to evaluate next year's class, um, you know, probably a month or two, even before the draft starts. Um, I mean, there's events that, you know, show us uh, players that are eligible for, draft in even two or three years but uh and and, you know we're recording notes we're evaluating them um but you know i I don't think it really starts probably until a month or two uh before you know the the, you know the the, the coming draft um you know and then i think the signing deadline is probably a real good line of demarcation where we just you know sort of put the current year behind us and say now it's just looking straight ahead to you know the next year's draft
0: Now you talked about your scouts a little bit earlier. Each scout has their own region that they have to cover around the country. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So the way that we're set up is we have roughly forty domestic scouts in the United States, um, including Puerto Rico, Um, and and so you know we have roughly fifteen area scouts that are responsible for. in some cases, two or three states, in some cases, if it's a highly concentrated state, maybe just a small part of a state. Um, And then the next layer we call our regional coordinators. And their job is to really just sort of quarterback that region, um, kind of be the air traffic controller of uh, all the information that we're acquiring on players, all the information that we still need to acquire on players um, and really helping develop and and bring the area scouts along uh, just from a professional development standpoint. And then on top of that, we have another layer, the national cross-checking layer, and we have four of those. Um, and you know, they're real; they're just extremely critical to just sort of the you know, boots on the ground, just pure evaluators. You know, they'll go in and evaluate probably 200 players every year and turn in those uh, and submit reports on them, uh, and just end up having probably the most calibrated opinions, just because they end up seeing the most players. But uh, so, area scouts, regional coordinators, national cross-checkers. Um, folks in the office who are critical to everything we do uh, and, and then myself.
0: Wow so you got all your bases covered so to speak but you know you came from you know you were in St. Louis for a little bit you were in Oakland for a little bit but your first draft with the Cubs 2020 one of the weirdest drafts in history with COVID creating complete havoc on the process. How would you say the drafting process has evolved for you with the Cubs since 2020?
1: From a process standpoint I think we've um, you know, evolved pretty substantially. And, you know, it's been, a, um, it's been a gradual process. Each year we try to make some, some tweaks and some improvements to what we're doing, um, both from sort of a draft day um, decision-making process as well as sort of just the you know the, the, the scouting process leading up to it. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it's been, uh, uh, you know, I expect us to probably have the same sort of similar, just continuous improvement going forward as we've had the last few years.
0: Now, MLB recently has implemented new rules, no shifts, making the bags bigger to increase stolen bases. Has that had a big impact on how you scout certain players?
1: I don't think it's had a big impact on how we scout players. Uh, I think, you know, at times you see some of those macro trends, um, you you see them sort of rear their heads in the the college game um, in terms of just strategy. And then maybe that starts to influence some of the performance statistics that we're collecting. Um, but I think you know, for the most part, from influencing our scouting standpoint, no, it's 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 still just going out there and um, trying to evaluate current tools and, and and project those into the future, and um, you know, try to figure out who's going to be a big leaguer. And then uh, you know, if 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 you know, the game, if if their tool set uh, is reliant. On, on just some strategy changes, then you know we're probably uh, you know overvaluing you know that player a little high, too high.
0: So MLB Network has a show during the winter meetings, and they they reveal the pick you're going to have. Yeah. Right, they've changed it up a little bit. Andre Dawson's there representing the Cubs, the Hawk. Were you there during that process in the winter meetings, or, or where were you? Were you watching it in real time, or does it not really matter if you're drafting 14th versus 17th? No, it it, it
1: matters a lot. Um, I just, you know, I, it just doesn't really matter where you are when you're watching that that show because there's nothing you can do about it to, to influence the outcome. Um, so where I was is, I, you know, I was at the winter meetings, uh, you know, with the, the rest of our staff and we we're all, there's probably 20 of us or so, we were watching uh, uh, it unfold on MLB TV just like everybody else uh, you know, up in our suite. Um, and, you know, I probably was sweating a little bit more than, you know, some of the other people in the room. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I felt like probably the the best way to, um, to, to, to handle what, uh, you know, we, any, any news that we might get would be with, you know, the, the rest of the group.
0: Uh, that would be fun, you know, and, and it's funny because obviously some of us have watched the movie like uh, Moneyball, or we've seen draft day with the football and all that stuff. Yeah. When you're, when you're, when you're getting to that week of the draft, you're setting up your board, uh, now, is all the scouts, I'm assuming, are the pitching and hitting directors there? And does everyone kind of speak up and say who they think you should pick when it comes to your time? Yeah, so I think
1: something that we try to do is, um, you know, minimize any sort of audibling or pivoting that, you know, we, we have to do in the moment because there's just so much going on. You know, so so many calls with agents, so many calls with with our scouts uh, reacting to what other teams are doing. So, to the extent that you can you know prepare ahead of time and sort of weed out anything that you might end up having to do during the draft and just make that process a little bit smoother and streamlined um you know we do so i think one of the things that we try to do well in advance now is have those discussions um you know with our scouts uh with our analysts with our front office um you know a few weeks even before the the draft um sometimes even a month before and so we you know we break up into regions and have regional meetings. And it's kind of this like traveling road show where you'll go to, you know, the West Coast one day the next day, you'll be in the, the Midwest meeting with, you know, our group of scouts there. The next day in the Southeast with our group of scouts there and so forth. Um, and then we'll aggregate all that information, um, making the adjustments that we need to make to our uh, to our model, uh, make sure that we have all the information we need going into the draft. And then I'll meet with the executive leadership group um, you know, a few days before the draft, you know, explain to them sort of what things look like um, or where we're at on certain players, what sort of pieces of information we might still need, um, you know, how they can help in terms of acquiring maybe signability information through certain agents, what they're hearing from other teams, uh, and then going into the draft. Yeah, you'd like to sort of be on autopilot. Uh, never uh, ends up being that easy and 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 that smooth because there's just always things you need to react to in the moment. Um, but uh, you know, I think the sort of the the you know the the scene of like it being this chaotic. You know, hey, take this player, take that player. That's not quite how it is um, anymore. But it's it's still there's still a lot going on. in just the gravity of every decision is 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 so important and. Uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's what makes it so much fun
0: too. I can imagine. Now you see, you guys seem to have a lot of luck or I don't want to say luck. You guys seem to do a really good <laughs> job of drafting players in the later rounds. I'm looking at Frankie Scalzo, BJ Murray was in the futures game, Brody McCullough, Hayden McCreary. Is it, would you, you know, do you find it to be a little bit more tricky to draft players later in the draft? How is that compared to like, say, picking in the earlier rounds? So
1: the stakes are different in the sense that you're not spending four million dollars on on one of those players but at the same time you know with a 20 round draft every player we draft is is, is critical and we treat every single draft with uh, you know uh, um uh, you know put a lot of focus on every single pick and and so i don't think just because somebody is a 15th round pick anymore means that they're any less important than somebody we took on, you know, the, the previous day, say on day two. Um, but, you know, I think the reality is you end up having a little bit less information as you so, as you go down that kind of draft curve from the first pick to the, you know, as you get into the thousands um, and, and, and the 20th round. So I think, you know, the information becomes a little bit less as you sort of get into that area and your confidence and, and sort of your evaluation might be a little bit less. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, we, we end up having so much information on players these days that uh, um, we're as excited about some of those guys as we are, you know, about some of our earlier picks. So, um, you know, I think there's definitely some, you know, it, it helps have luck on your side, um, but it also helps have good scouts and a good process. And, um, you know, if you have all those three things sort of meshed together at the right time, then you can come up with uh, hopefully some, some pretty good picks.
0: Nice. Now, once a player is drafted and they've kind of gone on their way in their pro career, how much do you, communication do you have with some of those players? Do you see them around in the minors at all?
1: Yeah, um, see them in the minors, see them at, at the affiliates, see them at spring training. Um, frequently texting with them throughout the, uh, the the season, even the off season. Um, there's a little quiet period now where we can't really uh, talk to them. That's you know uh, a couple weeks, but uh, you know you get so close with these guys that. Um, you know, you you end up. Um, you know, I was I was telling uh, one of our pitching coaches just the other day when, you know, when you're watching them, whether it's in person, whether it's on, you know, uh, on MILB TV. I mean, you feel like, um, you know, you're you're part of their family. You feel like almost their dad at times, where you know, if they get a bad call, you know, you're 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 <laughs> angry because you know things didn't go their way and. Um, you become a, you know, a cheerleader in, in, in some ways for for all these guys, and it's um, you're just so deeply invested in in that pick and the time that went into it, um, and and just the process, and you want to see them uh, succeed as much as anybody. So, um, you know, I think, you know, whether it's texting with the, the players themselves, sometimes their parents, um, you know, it's that line of communication with them uh, never ends.
0: Well, you you know, speaking about being a proud parent, you had two of your draft picks for the Cubs reach the major leagues <laughs> in twenty twenty three. You had fourth round pick Luke Little from twenty 2020 twenty and 2021 first round pick Jordan Wicks get their de- debuts this year. How excited was it was that for you, and were you watching when they made their debut with the big club?
1: Yeah, I mean it was. Um, you know, I remember I was uh, I was actually with my family um, watching uh, Jordan Wicks uh, uh, his debut on TV. And um, you know, I think that first, um, I, you know, I was traveling. I couldn't get there in person, and you know, on a scouting trip. And um, I'm, I'm seeing on TV, and I'm, I'm in another room. I think as that, you know, first is unfolding. Um, you know, just, just kind of sweating buckets, and uh, you know, not, not even really wanting to watch, and just sort of listening to, I think the, the announcers uh, talk about it, and I could, you know, just envision sort of, you know, his, his pitches you know, behave the way that, you know, we'd seen him back when he was in college. And, you know, it got a little got a little tenuous there for for a few pitches. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, our scouts saw in Jordan and that, you know, I think is probably pretty clear to people now is, you know, this guy is as tough as it gets. And, you know, he's not going to get phased by, you know, a few things not going his way. And he's just going to, you know, keep rolling. And he did. Um, and it's, it's, it's looking back on it, I think, uh, uh that was one of the more memorable, memorable debuts I, I, I can remember. But, uh, yeah, I think I can speak for all the scouts, um, that were part of that process that, uh, I, I feel like we were all felt like uh, proud parents at, at, at that moment.
0: Now you guys took a gamble when you drafted Cade Horton as high as you did, especially, you know, you had missed some time with, you know, with Tommy John and 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 now, Cade Horton is in everybody's top three Cubs prospects. He's rated 26 in MLB Pipeline's top 100. What gave you the confidence to draft Cade when you did, and maybe other people didn't think that that was the right pick at the spot? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I think
1: one of the toughest things to do is kind of block out the noise during the draft of. you know how famous this guy might be or how famous that guy might be or what's ex- where he's expected to be taken um and you know just sort of relying on you know the fact that that we believe we have the best information going in the draft and, and we're going to use that information regardless of whether it aligns with um expected of us or not um and so i think you know when you say gamble um i i, I can understand you know sort of why you might say that, but at the same time, I think um, you know every pick has has risk associated with it, and um, or some level of uncertainty, and you know that's not that's always going to be the case. But I think our job is to assess that level of uncertainty relative to um, you know the the potential reward, and in our estimation, when we view, when when we look at the case of you know Kate Horton. Um, you know, that risk reward profile, uh, was well worth the, um, was well worth the
0: pick. Now you took Jackson Wiggins in the second round of the 23 draft. He missed his junior season, um, at the university of Arkansas with some Tommy John surgery, but you were confident in making him the pick. What is, you know, when, when you, when you have a guy that's injured, but you've been scouting him enough because Tommy John surgery, to be honest, is pretty common nowadays, you know? It, mm-hmm. is that you feel comfortable at the time of being like, yeah, you know, these guys are going to come back and what we saw is worth the pick.
1: Yes. I think, uh, I think we feel comfortable that, that Jackson's going to come back. He's, he's already um, you know, starting to throw some pens in Arizona. Um, you know, looks great physically has just been crushing it from a strength and conditioning standpoint. Um, and, you know, I think uh, while it's a, while it's a disruptive surgery, no doubt, I think the reality is that, you know, the, the science is there for, you know, players that, that do return, um, you know, to, to, a uh, you know, an expected level. Uh, and when we, you know, saw Jackson prior to that, um, you know, it was just, it was, it was electric at times. And, you know, there's going to be some things that he's going to have to, to work through with, uh, you know, some of our you know experts in, in our pitching side, but, uh, um, you know, it's a combination of projection and electric stuff and, uh, that, you know, you don't, you know, that I don't think we probably would have gotten in that, that stage of the draft, uh, you know, had he been healthy the, the entire year, he's, he's, he's a special kid.
0: Uh, another special kids, James Triantos, he got a lot of attention in the Arizona fall league this season. Mm-hmm. You draft him out of high school. He did okay in Myrtle beach where, but I've heard that in other people's, have- said that it's hard to hit in Pelican Park and the Carolina League in general. How hard is it to evaluate the progress of hitters at Myrtle Beach? And do you think Triantos is going to settle in one position or is his versatility going to help him get to the majors? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the
1: hardest thing about evaluating a hitter in uh, where there's a park effect that really has sort of a run suppressing effect is um what it does to the player mentally uh, you know i think the, the the tools and and the math is out there that you can make the adjustments on the performance um and and consider sort of um you know how how this player might have done in a different environment um but what what i don't think you always can assess very well is the extent to which a player might react to you know just really getting a hold of one and knowing that that ball's out in any other park and then having it you know the the left fielder be camped right out on you know under it you know 20 feet from the defense and um you know that's a little deflating um you know as a hitter and then you know do you adjust your stance as a you do adjust your approach Do you start swinging you know getting out you know swinging out of the zone um you start you know incorporating an uppercut you know i think there's just things that hitters do that you know because they're human um you know when you're in an environment like that that you might not otherwise do and so i think yeah, we can, you know, normalize and, and have an equivalency for a player's stats there versus somewhere else. But I think the the effect mentally is something that you know is uh, is not always easy to to assess. But uh, you know, with James, I mean, James, James can hit, you know, and and, and James huh. can, you know, he, he, he controls the zone. Uh, you know, he has hits for a lot of contact. I mean, he can. Uh, we think damage is coming. I think you saw that in the Arizona Fall League. We've seen it um, in 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 spurts before. Um, you know and i think the other thing was he was coming into this uh that's uh, last year with a little bit banged up um and you know the kid's as tough as it gets and so he's he's not gonna um he's not gonna sit out i mean he did have a, a you know a minor uh you know knee surgery that kept him out uh uh for i want to say a month or so but uh you know he was he had a few other things that he was banged up and probably compensating for and you know once he sort of i think hit his stride we didn't really see that until the fall league and uh, I think that's more. Um, that's more who we'll probably see in the in the future is my guess.
0: Now we talked a little bit about Cade Horton. You had another first round pick this year, Matt Shaw, who rocketed through the minors. And between Horton and Shaw, they're they're on the championship team for the Tennessee Smokies. Yeah. Uh, what go you know people are kind of freaking out they're like well we don't need a third baseman Matt Shaw can start and I'm like well hold hold the horses here a little bit you know mm-hmm. you know he's just coming up what goes into determining how fast a player advances through the minor leagues and how careful do you have to be not to rush them to the majors
1: yeah yeah I, I think a player generally tells you you know when they're ready and if if if, if you're sitting around a table debating whether so and so is ready. It probably means he's not, uh, just based on you know the um, you know haven't done this for a little bit. And I think um, you know it's the same thing when you're promoting a guy up the ladder in the minor leagues. Uh, you know if they're just dominating the level and clearly playing you know consistently above uh, above that level, um, you know I think you're probably doing the player a disservice, and that's the way our, our player development operation you know looks at it. If you're not uh, just challenging them. Um, and, you know, so I think, uh, they generally tell you, um, as opposed to sort of us having to sort of sit back and say, well, is so-and-so ready or is he not? And then, you know, there's the issue of, well, is there, is there a place for him to play at the next level? Um, you know, is he going to get the consistent at bats? Um, is he going to play where we need him to play defensively? Um, so there's those things that factor into, into it too. Um, but I think, you know, Matt forced our hand last year. I mean, I, you know, when you come out and, and, do what you know he did. Um, you know as much as you probably want to be conservative and 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 not just sort of you know uh, you know rocket a guy through the system. Um, you know he got to a point where we didn't really have a choice but to, to promote him, which is a pretty good problem to have.
0: Now, Sean Horton, college players. We talked about James Tiranto as a high school player when you're talking about like the philosophy on a first round draft pick and you're deciding between a college and high school player, you know, do you think about the different timelines and growth as compared to like, say organizational needs?
1: Um, so I think organizational needs uh, don't fact, first and foremost is a player's development. Um, that's going to be, um, you know, put ahead of any sort of, organizational needs early on now when they're called up or when they're being considered for for a call up um you know the the major league team obviously that that's when needs really come into play um you know if we have a need for a you know a, a right fielder or second baseman or or, or a you know left-handed late inning reliever uh, you know that's i think where it gets a little tricky as well you know, do we think this guy might be able to make this? You know, handle this position at the big league level because that's uh, that's where we need. Because he's certainly not going to play here. Because this guy has it on lockdown. Um, so I think throughout the you know the minor league progression, you try to make it all about the player. And then once it's time for that call up, um, I think it does you know inevitably become about some you know major league team needs. And I think one thing that's tricky on on our end is try to get out in front of that a little bit in the minor leagues and. You know, if we see that sort of coming, we don't want to just be blindsided and say, oh, now we need a second baseman. This guy's never played second base in the minor leagues. And so I think that's where you start to see a little bit of the, you know, let's move this guy around and get him some reps here. Um, and, yeah, you know, I think versatility is never a bad thing for players. I think that the modern game has showed that, uh, you know, the more versatile, versatile a player is, the more opportunities he's probably going to get to contribute in the major leagues.
0: Now, how much did the uh, effect, did the use of the tacky ball at double A, they had a a tackier ball this year. How how difficult did it make that in evaluating players and their progressions, both the pitchers and the hitters?
1: Yeah. um, You know, I think there were, we're, you know, I don't don't think it ended up, um, I don't think they ended up using it the entire season. So it was somewhat of a, I guess, an experiment uh, you, you could say, where you could evaluate pre and post tack um but yeah i think uh, you know did it enable pitchers to sort of rip a curveball a little bit harder um and and induce you know the 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 spin rate potentially um you know did it uh, make it a little bit more difficult for uh, a hitter in some cases if uh, you know he's seen a little bit more bite or a little bit later break on this pitch um or you know a little bit more you know quote unquote rise on 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 a heater i think uh, yeah i i i think um we did notice some, you know, some artifacts of, of, of that. But uh, I also think it's probably something we won't know for, for a few years uh, until we really, you know, continue to, to study the effects. But, um, um, you know, I think that's something that, uh, um, you know, most likely did impact, you know, performance in, 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 in a few ways.
0: Now, um, I heard Craig Council at CubsCon talking and he talked a lot about prospects. He talked about how, you know, a lot of times people build these kids up and then if they're not immediately successful, you know, and they go down the minors, you know, then they kind of get torn down a little bit. When, when a player makes it to the big leagues and they get a cup of coffee and it doesn't work out as much as they hoped it would, what, do you, what does the organization do to help them regain their confidence and address issues that may have been exploited in the big league level?
1: Yeah, you know, I think some of that gets back to the player's makeup and, you know, trying, even at the, the you know, the, the level of the draft and trying to just find those players that have that uh, stick-to-itiveness and, 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 and that ability to, to manage stress and, and overcome adversity. And, um, you know, sometimes players, you know, have those qualities naturally. Sometimes, uh, you know, they learn like, coping mechanisms and strategies later on through, you know, our mental skills or through outside uh, means. Um, But I think, you know, you need um, players that, uh, you know, can kind of overcome that. And I think, um, you know, look at a a guy like Matt Mervis last year, you know, he uh, wasn't, uh, you know, I think he was like a lot of players that, uh, uh, you know, with a lot of talent and and skill that are probably going to be really good big leaguers, uh, you know, like I think he's going to be, you know, that get up there and don't experience that initial success. And then have to go back down and still perform. And he, he went back down and, and continued to rake. Um, so I think, you know, you, you got to be mentally tough like that. Um, but at the same time, I think it's something where, you know, you, it helps to, you know, be able to have some patience and be able to sort of come back down, regroup, and then get a chance to go back up there. So, you know, the player also needs opportunities.
0: Well, Dan, I appreciate you taking some of your time. I know you are a traveling Roman man, and, and and you're always a busy man, but I love having these conversations with you and just kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit and and getting an idea because it's fun to watch these young kids. It's fun to watch their development, and I think the Cubs organization and a lot, like you said, a lot of third-party evaluators think you guys are just doing a terrific job, and I appreciate uh, all that you guys are doing and for taking some time to talk to us today.
1: Thanks, Carl. I appreciate you having me on. Take care.